we've never had a depression in the film industry. When the rest of the country is depressed financially, Hollywood is still making money. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. Today's podcast is like no other. This is a passionate, powerful podcast. So sit tight as you listen to a riveting story of courage told through the eyes of one man's experience of the famous and wild Malibu fires of 2018. The contagion of his drive to save two horses in these fires was so palpable that he convinced a complete stranger to hop in his truck and save the horses with him. How about that for being a good leader? Although we went into detail about the Malibu fires, we did have an opportunity to talk about his acting and directing career, as well as animal activism. He is a man that is not to be stopped. Today's guest might be best known as Peter Foley in the psychological thriller Copycat. He also happens to be a top-notch producer, writer, director, and production manager. The man I reference is William McNamara, or simply Billy. He starred in Copycat, Saving the Game, Chasers, Stealing Home, and many other household name movies. And without a doubt, his success in film is no accident. A man who's willing to go into a fire is clearly not afraid of little work. He's always had the drive that's needed to go the extra mile to differentiate himself. We started today's conversation with a daring and heartfelt story about animals that he saved. And then we delved into the disconnect between actors and networking, maintaining relationships that have been developed, and balancing your career and your passion. Ultimately, Billy is a walking storybook filled with crazy anecdotes. So, without further ado, kick back and enjoy my conversation with Billy McNamara. I get the sense that you were born ready. Were <laughs> yeah. you born ready? I was born ready. You were, huh? Yeah. I get the sense that you also have a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, I have a few stories, sure. You do? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just know our mutual friend, and I know some of the stories he has, and if you go back far with him, then I've yeah. got to assume there's a story or two that yeah. you're a part of. Hey, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any random stories that come to mind, just in general, just something out of the box that's the first thing that you think about? Are we talking Hollywood stories or just Could be recent? Just, yeah, recent, yeah. Well, I mean, the story that's the most compelling right now for me, and is right on the tip of my mind, so to speak, is last weekend or two weekends ago, we had the big fires in Malibu. And I work in animal rescue. That's my, I'm an actor and that's how I make a living. And I've made a living doing that for 30 years. So I'm doing something right. <laughs> but my passion really is the animal rescue world. And I'm part of a place called Eastwood Ranch Foundation. My partner's Allison Eastwood. Her father's Clint Eastwood, the director. And uh, in fact, Allison's in his new movie playing his daughter a new oh, movie called Mule cool. with Bradley Cooper. That looks excellent. And by Allison the way. is excellent. And really? Allison's in my movie too, which is good for me. All right. <laughs> Talk about that later. <laughs> All right. So, Allison and I, we had a show on National Geographic uh, about six, seven years ago called Animal Intervention, where her and I would go around the United States with a Nat Geo film crew and we would confront people that had wild, exotic animals in their private ownership. And we try to negotiate the release of those animals. 
And we'd have a, a standing by, we'd have a transport team, veterinarian to dart the animal. These are lions, bears, gorillas, tigers, chimpanzees. All over the world? or All the... over America. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. It's a kind of a problem in the South. People buy these little tiger cubs, and they're really cute. From a roadside zoo, like in North Carolina or Oklahoma, you could buy these little cubs for 400 bucks. They'll sell them to you. No license, no knowledge of how to do anything with them. And then these things get big. So they got to keep them in a cage in their garage for the rest of their lives. It's terrible. So we would hear about that and we would approach them, knock on their door. So that's my background. So I've been doing this for a a long time. And before that, I was with an organization called Sea Shepherd. So I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, or if you aren't, you will be. But they're talking about the newest generation of pets. Have you heard of what they're doing? No. Baby elephants. They're talking about making baby elephants. This is the ultra rich. And we can get into that later, but if you haven't heard about it, you will. They're wow. start, you know how they're, they got like labradoodles and they, right. they, they mix, you know, dogs <laughs> yes. and stuff. Well, now they're talking about shrinking elephants. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm sorry to steal your thunder. Pig, but Pygmy but, elephants, I guess. I yeah. think there's probably such a thing. There I, probably yeah, I, is. I don't know. Okay. Um, but, uh, wow, that's yeah. interesting and yeah. bizarre, of course. At the same time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Allison and I, the week before, we just started hooking up with another rescue organization. I'm not going to mention their name, actually, okay. because it's probably best not to mention the other organization and they primarily focus on horses and they're in Malibu so Allison and I were there took a tour of the place we met the people that ran it and it was a great meeting and then a week later out of the blue this insane fire hits Malibu which is it came so quickly and the people this rescue had gotten most of their horses out so I called them I said do you guys need help me and Allison have trucks and trailers they said we got most of the horses out and we were forced out by the sheriffs to evacuate pretty much by gunpoint Wow. Because they're taking trailers out and there's small roads in Malibu in the hills. So when they're taking trailers out, they're blocking fire trucks. Hmm. So the sheriffs get a little crazy about that. So it's understood. So I said, most? What do you mean? They said, well, we had to leave two behind. Two horses. Two horses. So I said, I'll get them. I said, oh, you won't get past the blockades, Billy. It's going to be tough. But we do have a trailer up there. So I ran to Enterprise, because I drive a Prius. <laughs> I ran to Enterprise, and I, they had an F-150 on the lot that, of course, nobody wanted to rent. It came in from Arizona. It was like a haul, you know, they hauled their stuff in. I said, is that for rent? The guy goes, you want that? He goes, it's terrible on gas. I said, I'll take it. So they didn't have a tow package, so I had to go to U-Haul, buy a tow package. So this is all happening while the fires are burning. You're under the yes. gun with time. Under the, you yes. know that you've got a the yes. clock's ticking. Clock like this ticking. should be a movie. This should yeah, be a movie, be a movie that you're the star in. Yeah. yeah. And I got to Enterprise on Santa Monica and 17th. And I'm, it's, I'm in the lot. And I look up and there's a giant mushroom cloud. And I said to the guy, he was the manager, I said, what is that? That's a weird cloud. He goes, that's the fire. I hadn't seen it yet. I just heard about it. This was a cloud that was just this gigantic gray-red mushroom cloud right up on the coast. And you could see it from Santa Monica. That's crazy. So I thought, oh, wow, this probably is not going to happen, but I'm going to try anyway. So I rushed down, got the car, got the U-Haul tow package, got down to PCH. When I got to PCH in sunset, massive roadblocks, cops everywhere, not letting anybody in, but fire trucks, obviously, and ambulances and stuff like that. And Con Edison guys, emergency yeah. vehicles. So I got there and I saw like a line of people trying to talk to the cop at the front thing saying, this is what I got to do. This, and he was turning everybody away. So I was listening. I stood back and I listened and observed. Mm. I waited and waited. And then I went up to him and I said, listen, I, he goes, nobody's getting in today. And I said, listen, that's my F-150. I got a tow package on it. I got horses in a trailer that are waiting to be picked up right 
now. And he said, no, man, I, I can't let you. And I said, they're in the trailer. They're ready to go. I got to get them. And he goes, how many? And I said, only two. And then I had my act. I'm an actor. So I started to cry. Nice and he got, he got embarrassed. He goes, all right, go ahead. Let this guy in. Because he, he's like, all right, don't do that. Go ahead. So I got in. But I still had four more roadblocks to go. Ugh. So it did take me a couple of hours just to get in, just to go 10 miles. Because every roadblock, it's 20 to 30, 45 minutes. Interesting. And you got to have a good story. Now, fortunately, the other roadblocks were not local sheriffs. And a lot of them were LAPD or Baldwin, just not local. So they don't know the geography. And I know the geography really well. So when they would say, such and such, you can't go past Big Rock. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'm going to Topanga. That's where the horses are. To Topanga, where is that? And I tell them, it's two miles before Big Rock. Okay, go ahead. Then I get to Topanga. I tell them. So I leapfrogged in, but it did take hours. And it was getting dark at this point. Yeah. So I got in, and the last roadblock was at the bottom of Corral Canyon. And it was a sheriff. And I pulled up, rolled down my window, and he said, where do you think you're going? I said, I'm going up there. And he goes, no, you're not. And it was smoke, fire everywhere. I said, yes, I am. And I said, I got a trailer with two horses up there. I've got the tow package. I'm going up there. He goes, no, you're not. Nobody's going up there. It's a fire. And I said, I'm not leaving those horses. They're ready to go. I'm going to go get them. And he leans in my car and he said, uh, i tell you what, I can't leave my post. <laughs> and I just shot right by yeah. him. And so... I have to say that I started going up. The smoke was intense and fire. Now, I saw the videos on your Instagram page, which yeah. we'll, we'll give out to everybody. Okay. Were, were those videos of the rescue or those are just other videos? Those are the rest. That's yeah. all my, that's me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that looked intense. Right. So I did get pushed back down the hill. If there's a 76 station at the bottom, and there's a lot of people that lived up there, they evacuated to the 76 station. They didn't want to leave Malibu because once you leave, you can't get back in. Mm. So a lot of people don't want to leave, and I don't blame them. I wouldn't want to leave either. So I drove back down there. The 76 station is inside a Corral Canyon, so the cop didn't even see me. I pulled back in, started talking to people, met a guy who knew the ranch. He goes, oh, they're my neighbors. And I said, there's two horses. He goes... They evacuated the horses. I said, no, there's two left. He goes, oh, my God. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to go up there. But I, you know, I was up there last week, so I kind of know where it is, but it's so smoky. He said, I'll take you up there. So this guy jumps in the truck with me. Amazing. Wow. And you don't know this guy? I don't know him. But I know he lives up there because he said, I, wish I can mention his name, I guess. He's the general manager of Guitar Center, which is a big deal. So we meet right then and there. We drive up, and I tell him it's real smoky. I can't remember where. He goes, I, don't, I know exactly where it is. Just keep going. So we go up there. We find here, this is it. So we get there. All the power's out. No cell phone service, by the way. So you can't call anybody. Cell tower's down. We get up there, and there's smoke, fire everywhere. And they have these giant gates, but there's no power. So the gate, you can't get the gates open. <sighs> so I parked the truck on the side of the road, got out of the way of the fire department, because they're shooting up and down. The fire truck's going everywhere, and helicopters. So I felt a little secure in knowing that there were firemen and helicopters pretty much everywhere. But they're busy. They're dealing yeah. with the fire. So I jump over the fence. There's an indoor door. And I open it. He comes in. And he said, where are the horses? And I said, they're down bottom. And it's a long hike down. Ugh. So it's a switchback trail. Can't take a trailer. It's a horse trail. So there's no taking the trailer down there. So it's a 10-minute walk down. Double that going back up. It's very steep. And vegetation all around. So it's getting dark now, really dark, and a lot of fire. And we're down there, and we're getting these horses. And the reason why the horses were left behind is they're very difficult. They're older, 
and these are rescue horses, so they've been abused. Yeah, yeah. So it, Just throw a fire into the mix for them. Right, you know? just throw a fire into the mix. And I couldn't find the right size halters. The halters were too small. So we had to put ropes around the neck, and that's not the way to pull a 900-pound animal, especially ones that – horses are yeah, weird. Yeah. They don't want to leave their stables. They could be fire – they don't want to leave. I kept looking up around me. We're in, there's like a rim. It's like you go down to this canyon to the stables, and it's kind of like the, you're at the bottom of a volcano, and there's like a rim around. I kept looking up at the rim, and I saw this orange glow, and it was pulsating like a heartbeat. It was like a bad sci-fi movie. <laughs> just a really yeah. bad side. You wouldn't yeah. believe it. You had to see it to believe it. It was alive, whatever it was. And it was kind of coming, getting brighter and brighter and brighter as it came up. And I kept looking up and John was his name. John wasn't paying attention to that. He was really focused on helping me with the horses, which is fantastic. I said to John, I said, I don't know if you see that. And he goes, yeah, it's all right, Billy. I'm like, okay. So pulling the horses up, get about a quarter of the way up, not really half, a quarter of the way up. And I look up there and a wave of fire like 30 feet high, crests over the thing, and it crashes and comes down the hill right at us. It's going like... Like a fireball? Or? No, like the fire just caught onto the vet, all the new fresh fuel, vegetation, uh, gotcha. which was surrounding yeah, yeah, the hole yeah. that we're in. Yep. So the good news is the stables and everything around the stables is dirt. The road that we're on, the thing that we're on is dirt, but there's vegetation on the side of this trail. I made a decision. I said, John, we got to let the horses go. I'm going to open up all the gates. And I did open up all the gates, but we got to go. And the fire was coming. No, we can't. I said, no, John, we can't. We have to run right now. And he said, I can't run. And I said, what do you mean you can't run? And he goes, I have a broken foot. And I said, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> why didn't you tell me? He said, well, why didn't you tell me? We're hiking down the mountain. I said, all right, I'm sorry. I'm not leaving you, man. But somebody's got to get up there and tell the fireman that you're down here. And he said, okay, go. So I ran up that hill. This is a hill that I couldn't run up at my age. And I'm in okay shape. You look like you're in good but, shape. But yeah. this is quite a hill. Yeah. And adrenaline is for real. Adrenaline is for real. And I was in terror. Because the fire was coming down and the smoke was like billowing. And I lost sight of John and the horses. But I just kept running. Now, fortunately, I'm waving my, I've got a flashlight and I'm waving it. And the helicopter sees it. So I get to the top of the hill and there's a fire truck at the gate. And they, the firemen jump over and they unlatch the gate and open it up. And they said, what's going on? What's going on? I said, there's a guy down there with a broken foot and two horses. And so they raided up. The helicopter started flying around and spraying retardant red stuff or pink stuff all over the place. And they said, show us. So I ran them back. I showed them. By that time, John had emerged from the smoke. And he was within maybe 50, 60 yards at the top. So he made it. So we got out of there. And I said, listen, there's horses down there. And they said, we'll do what we can. But you guys, you got to get out of here. We'll do what we can. We got the helicopter. We'll do what we can. You got to go. And it was nasty. So I got John, got back in my truck. And I said, are the horses going to make it? And he said, I don't think so, Billy. If not the fire, the smoke. Because it was yeah, bad. Smoke's worse than the fire. Yeah. yeah. So I was pretty, I felt like I'd gotten that close and oh. that I failed. And the truth is, in retrospect, uh, it might be something that interests you. And that is, I really didn't have a plan. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Sound like you got pretty far without a plan. <laughs> I got pretty far without a plan. But I didn't do what I could have done. What more could you have done? If you look back, I'm sure you've analyzed this thing seven ways to Sunday. Could have had halters. Could have brought halters. I did. How would you have known? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So there's nothing more you could have done. Also, I could have brought somebody that knew a lot about horses. I know a little bit and I'm okay with horses, mm -hmm. but I could have brought somebody that really 
knew about it. But then again, there's a lot of people you can't ask people to run into a fire. <laughs> yes. It's not, yeah, you can't do that. It's not appropriate. No. Wow. So did you ever find out if they made it or oh, not? Well, so we rushed down the hill. And oh, one of the firemen said, I said, I don't want to leave the horses because you got to get out of here. He said, when the fire comes down the hill, though, you can come back up. So I said, okay. So I went down the hill, went to the 76 station where everybody else was. That's where those videos I'm filming, the fire coming down the hill. Yeah. The fire was on PCH right by the 76 station. So the cops kept coming into the 76 station and evacuating people. So I had to hide underneath a U-Haul truck oh, to not get, because I'm not leaving yeah. the horses. The fireman said, I can go back up there. So about an hour and a half, and the fire comes down that hill and almost hits the 76 station. So I actually did go park across When you keep street. saying 76 station, what does that mean? There's a 76 station on PCH and Corral Canyon. So it's at the Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. So there's a 76 gas station. Oh, gas station. Okay, yeah, there's a gotcha, gas station. Yeah. It's been there forever. People know when you say the 76 station okay. at Corral. Like you, my meet ignorance. People, you meet people there all the time. All right. I'll, I'll meet you at the 76 station. We'll drive up together. So you can kind of park there too. They let you park there. So I'm hiding from the cops now. Now the sheriffs are like driving around the parking lot trying to force people out. And I have to say the fire did come to the 76 station. Oh, Jesus. So I did park the pickup across the street, but I walked back over the 76 station. Worst came to worst, I thought I could just jump in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. So I wasn't really in any danger. If the fire really hit, they were worried the cops were on it their last week. Right. The gas, please evacuate, please evacuate. So I did move the truck across the street. And then after about an hour and a half, the fire came down. It was hardcore. <laughs> it was crazy. And I saw fire trucks going back up. So I jumped in my truck and I followed them up. And I knew where it was. John was gone. Everybody's gone. Now it's just me by myself. And I'm going back up there. And I thought to myself, the horses are either dead or they're suffering. So I wanted to at least be a witness to their death yeah. or be with them while they died and provide whatever comfort spiritually or whatever comfort I could give them, whatever that means. I don't know what that is. But I thought that was the right thing to do. Went up there and the fire was all around. I was smart. I waved the flashlight again. So the helicopter, every time I waved the flashlight, I found out the helicopter came over. It's amazing they could see you. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, no, it's not. I have never seen helicopters flying. I mean, literally, see the top of that right there, 10 yeah. feet up? That's how low the helicopters were. Wow. Yes. They were very low. They're looking for human beings. And that's a Sounds thing. like they did a great job. They did a great job. Amazing job. They were amazing. I mean, these helicopters, they're just hanging there 10 feet off the ground. It was amazing. So the, the thing is, I know the rule. The rule is they try to protect the animals. They absolutely must protect the humans. So as long as I'm a presence, they have to come back and flame retardant. The fire trucks and the firemen, they all left. So they weren't there. I was on my Did own. Did all these firemen and policemen want to kill you? Right. <laughs> well, I got like, some negative comments on yeah, Facebook about yeah, that. Right. Yeah, they said that I got in the way and that I was yeah. uh, not a good person. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. But, right. so, but staying there. Oh, yeah. John had also told me. He said, if you go back up, Billy, you got to put out spot fires. I said, what's that? And he told me how to do it and what they are. He said, because they'll reignite. Mm. So I got, and there was three major spot fires on their property. One right by the stables. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So then I start, I go down the hill, and I'm expecting the worst, because everything is burned around, all the, on the trail, everything. But there's also pink stuff everywhere, the flame retardant. It's everywhere. I go down the hill. I left all the gates open, and the horses were out, and they were alive. And I shined the light on them, and I made a little video where I sent it to my friend who's, when I got back in cell reception, the horses were alive. And so I uh, immediately got them water, and then I found a garden hose, and I went up to put out the spot fire by the stable. And so I'm spraying, it's a massive spot fire, and it's just really hot and smells like plastic. So it's probably oh, plastic, yeah. which later on I found out burns much higher than wood, temperature-wise. So it's very dangerous and hard to put out. But I put it out. Then... 
I started looking around the stables and I found a, like a miniature fire hose. It's like a fire hose that's got a, you know, the hole is about that big as opposed to the garden hose is like that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, so it's about a, four inches in diameter? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, great, there's actually a fire hose and there's another big spot fire about 60 feet away from the stable. So I got the close one first. It was like eight inches away. And I unraveled the fire hose up the hill, laid it down, ran back down the hill to turn it on. The big red thing turned on. I flip it around, flip it around, nothing comes out. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe it's, the, I got to go back to the garden hose. So I run to the garden hose, but it's not long enough. Turned on, no water. Found out later on from the firemen. Did they cut off all the, yeah. Cut off and diverted all the water to Pepperdine. Interesting. So everybody was in trouble. Yeah. They left everybody in trouble. Wow. For Pepperdine. So I found, I went in the stables and I found fire extinguishers and I grabbed them. I thought, these will never work, but they did. Hmm. Fire extinguishers work. All right. They were a good thing to have. <laughs> I had the white stuff that sprays out yep. the powder. It worked great. And I put out all the spot fires with the remaining extinguishers. What I did is I was still very scared because there was fire around and a lot of smoke. So I would drive back down the hill to the 76 station, try to catch my breath and breathe some clean air, which wasn't really clean, but a lot cleaner up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went up every hour checked on the horses, checked on the spot fires. So there was no way to get the horses out of there because you didn't have the right Correct. harnesses yes. to pull the, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so you had to just, this is, just stay. This is your option. Okay. Just stay. I was also looking for a large tortoise that they left behind, but I couldn't find the tortoise, but he got out as well. Good. And so as soon as the sun came up, I felt safe. And I drove down PCH right till I found cell service, called the owners or the people, they said they're going to send a cowgirl with a real pro. Just wait for her. So I did, and I had to wait half the day for her. It took her a long time to get in as well. It took her hours to get past all the roadblocks. But she had the trailer, and she's a professional. That's what she does. Story doesn't really end there because we had a very hard time getting them out. They were very upset. And even she's a pro. That's what she does. She said it's the hardest that she's ever had. Yeah, she did have some extraneous circumstances. <laughs> yeah, and here's the worst part that I didn't tell you. This is the worst part of all. Daybreak, seems like the fire's out, helic firemen are around, so I feel safe. So we're getting the horses about halfway up. She starts screaming and grabs her breast. And I look down and she's got a swarm of yellow jackets biting her. No. Yeah. So oh, she lets I've go of the bit. horse. No. Yeah, she had to. She had yeah. to grab her boob. Yeah. <laughs> if I can say that. So I was like, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? She's stung. I'm stung. And then all of a sudden I got, they, they got on my hand and started stinging me. I can't believe the bees were around that they didn't get flushed out. They did get flushed out. Oh, the fireman said, your... yeah, the fireman said that's one of the problems they always have. The smoke and everything gets them riled up and angry, flushes them out, and they're just angry and yeah. uh, aggressive. And they stung my horse on the nose. So my horse went nuts and took off. So this was like a four-hour thing just getting the horses into the trailer. Jesus. But there is a happy ending. The horses lived. They lived. And they were evacuated out. And yeah, so I mean, that's... Well, the... good job. That's yeah, awesome nice. that you did that. Uh, nice to shake your hand. You're clearly passionate about this, fired up about this. Right. Has, yeah. Have you always had a fire in your belly for animals? I think I have. Yeah, I've always done rescue. I've done a lot of rescue. I went to Japan with Sea Shepherd. I went to jail in Japan, stopping. They were killing the dolphins. So we were... How did you go to jail? Uh, well, it's interfering with commerce as a law in Japan. So if you interfere with them killing dolphins, that's their commerce. Interesting. And you're committing a crime. So you can't protest in Japan. People think Japan's a democratic country after World War II. It is not. Not even close. Not even close. Wow. So you've always had this passion, but there was something I was reading about you regarding your pit bull. 
you saved your pit bull's life or something and it saved yours? Yes. It, can you expand on that? Well, that's the thing. I've had a lot of rescue dogs. At Eastwood Ranch, we get a lot of dogs and a lot of pit bulls because those are the ones that nobody wants and those are the shelters have pit bulls. Those are some of the best dogs, by the way. Just for the record, I used to have a, a pit bull and Rottweiler mix. Yes. And you want to talk about a bright dog with a good disposition that right. is just loyal yes. and friendly. And yes. Sorry to steal yes. your thunder, but Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I've gone through a lot of hard times as far as being an actor in Hollywood, a lot of rough times and up and down. And like I said, I'm in a recovery program and that's been a blessing, but there's a lot of challenges and it really has been through the rescue. And in particular, when I take one of these dogs in, this is a new Eastwood Ranch dog, but I've had her for a few years. I saved her life for sure. She was going to be put to sleep very soon, but she has brought me so much joy and companionship like you said, so loyal, so happy, so excited to see me. For a little while, I was taking, I was prescribed antidepressants. And the doctor said, well, you'll probably have to be on antidepressants your whole life to surrender to that. And I was like, okay. So after about two years and I got this new dog, I hadn't, didn't have a dog when I was not on the antidepressants because my other pit bull died. So I got this dog and my life, you know, just, she brought so much joy that little by little, I tapered myself off the uh, antidepressants, and I haven't needed them since. And it's been like four years, three That's years. That's fantastic. Yeah. And what do you attribute that to? Well, they say that these dogs, these therapy dogs, that's what they are. I mean, a lot of people are prescribed therapy dogs. I, I actually developed a reality show after we did uh, Animal Intervention on Nat Geo. I signed uh, Marcus Luttrell to a shopping agreement. Do you know who he is? The name is very familiar. Lone Survivor, yes. the book and the yes. movie. He's yes. the Navy SEAL yes. that survived yeah. Afghanistan. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. He's an amazing guy. And I don't know if you know his whole story, but he was prescribed. He had a lot of uh, PTSD and survivor's guilt going through a hard time yeah. when he was discharged. Is he the guy that's with Jesse Itzler? Was he the one that ran? He was running a marathon or a 50-mile I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. So when Luttrell got out of the Navy, the doctors prescribed him a therapy dog. So it's legit. If the Navy is prescribing therapy dogs to Navy SEALs, there must be something yeah, there, to it. There's some science back behind There's got to be. Yeah. The bad news of that story is, though, the dog's name was Daisy and not Daisy the flower. D-A-S-Y, Danny Ack, Southern Boy Yankee, his four teammates that were killed. Ugh. So now the bad news is, and this is what inspired me to sign him, it ultimately didn't work out because we had Paul Walker as our host and he died. He died, yeah. So he had this puppy, Daisy, and he lived out in a suburb in Houston. And around midnight, Daisy was barking at the door and it's kind of a suburb. He let the dog out the front yard and uh, he heard a loud gunshot and he ran out there and three drunk teenagers no. had shot Daisy for fun. That is the wrong guy's dog. Uh, you, can... <laughs> you, you can listen to the 911 call on YouTube. It's a two-hour long call, him chasing them down. Oh, my gosh. It's pretty amazing. I can't. And they got away? No, they did not. They did not. Oh, wow. <laughs> because at, when you hear the 911 call, he had two Berettas, and he told the operator, I'm going to kill him. She said, don't do that, sir. And I says, I'm going to kill him. And he ran through, I think, five counties in Texas. That's a lot yeah, of miles. Yeah, a lot of space. <laughs> at 110 miles an hour the whole time. And she kept telling him, she, the operator said, sir, you have to slow down. You're breaking the law. Sir, you, you're going to have an accident. You have to slow down. Let the police handle it. And he goes, ma'am, I'm a Navy SEAL. Yeah. And there's just silence on the phone. Yeah. On the, and so she let him. You see, and he, uh -oh. and, I'm definitely checking that. It's a good one. Yeah, I can only imagine. It's a wow. good one. So, and what's he doing with himself now? I haven't talked to him in a long time since yeah. the thing fell apart. Yeah. We, he was going to be, we were doing a, all these ex-Navy SEALs were going to do hardcore animal rescues. Oh, that's a good mix. Yeah. 
That and, is a really and, good mix. And we yeah. had Paul Walker was going to host it. Mm. So I put the whole thing together. Allison Eastwood helped a little mm -hmm. bit, but Paul died. He's a car accident? Yeah, or, car yeah, accident. Yeah, that's right. And everybody got kind of a bad taste. Marcus Luttrell got a bad taste in his mouth. You know, I don't yeah. blame anybody. And it happens. It happens. Yeah. And so that didn't happen. The name of the show was going to be called The Daisy Squad. D-A-S-Y. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, man, it sounds like you uh, have done a lot of interesting things. You know a lot of interesting people. Let's talk about your career. We sure. kind of saw, you know, we, we got yeah. off on a, on a tangent. Yeah, you, tell everybody about kind of who you are and some of the things that you've done for well, those who don't know who you are. Yeah, I've been an actor for about 30 years. And it's funny, last night I was at Erewhon. It's the only place that's open late on the west side. It's a store like Whole Foods. But they're open really late, and I was out late, so I had to do some grocery shopping. I went to Erewhon at 11 o'clock. It's usually empty. And I saw a guy with this very beautiful girl, and I thought to myself, wow, he must have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> and I just caught my attention because she was very attractive. And he was a nice-looking guy, but she was very attractive. I mean, like a, a movie star attractive. And I paid more of my stuff, and I'm leaving, and he's by the door, and he says, William McNamara. And I said, yes. And he goes, I'm a huge fan of yours. I said, oh, really? From what? And he said, stealing home. I'm like, stealing home? I said, how old? You can't be that old. That's from a long time ago. It's the first movie I ever did. And that was with Jodie Foster. It is a great movie, but nobody today knows uh -huh. stealing home. It's just so long ago. And he said, yeah, man, I, that movie is my favorite movie ever. And he said, it, had, it touched me on so many levels. And he said, I'm here in LA today. I'm here right now because of you. Come on. Yeah. And so... I don't want to name his name. And he was like telling me lines from the movie and camera moves. Oh, this when the camera did this, when it started down there and went up to you and Jody on the roof. And I was like, is he well, in the business? Well, that's, what I, that's what yeah. I said. Yeah. I said, how do you know camera moves? What do you do? And he goes, oh, I'm a director. I said, oh, have you done anything big? And he said, well, I just finished the new Johnny Depp movie. And then he named five huge movies. I called Costas today and said, Costas. He goes, I know him, Billy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> big director. That's fantastic. So stealing home, apparently this guy, now we're friends, he gave me his number. And it's funny, and I told him I just finished directing my first movie. I'm a little late to the game, but I just finished directing. I wrote it and directed it. Casas is in it. He's got a great role. He's fantastic in it. Oh, he's great. He's great. He's so great. He really yeah, is. He's back. He's back. So he said, whatever I can do to help you, and I need help because it's low budget, and I need somebody like that to look at it and say, cut this, cut this, cut this, would be fantastic. And I told him all my editing woes. And he said, I feel you. Let me tell you my editing woes. So he's the kind of guy you want to go to who's had his issues with editing as well. Interesting. Yeah. So you probably have a pretty significant Rolodex through the years. Movies like Jodie Foster. You've been with Al Pacino. You've been with oh my God. Sigourney Weaver, Death Holly Sigourney. Hunter, yeah, 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 Patricia yeah. Arquette, yep. Jeff Bridges, Bo Bridges, Reese Witherspoon. I mean, I've been... In probably a hundred movies. Wow. A lot. I've worked. And what's kept your, the fire in the belly to stay in this? And it is a tough industry. It's a very tough industry. And as I got a little bit of a lull, not a lull work-wise, but a lull in money-wise, I started having to do lower budget projects. That's when I decided I'm going to write and direct my own thing. I'm going to create. I'm not going to sit by the phone and wait. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. I'm really good at it. So I'm going to go out and do it myself. I'm not going to wait for anybody. Some of my friends that are in the industry that have had epiphanies and they've further enjoyed now the lower budgets because it's helped them kind of give them more of a put the fire back in the belly. Have you had an experience that's similar to that? I have. I have a few directors that have been hiring me for a lot of these Lifetime movies. Hmm. And they really let me uh, give me a lot of latitude to really play 
and have fun and go over a little bit over the top and they'll bring me down a little bit uh-huh. <laughs> but it's some of my best work ever so I'm doing great work right now and it's because of these few directors that believe in me remember me from the old days and are giving me a shot and I've had great reviews and it's just been that yes yeah, so you're right yes that has been uh, thank God for those directors it's really interesting to hear that I, I was surprised at yeah that. You, know, you just never know what have you done to maintain the relationship so over a hundred movies it's a significant resume yeah how do you stay in touch with people and do you notice if the community the acting community in general is really good at keeping relationships with each other or is it still extremely cutthroat i think it's still extremely cutthroat yeah, it's very hard to maintain relationships and running into like that guy I ran into last night. That was a great piece of luck. But I don't know if there is a way I could have manufactured that type of networking, which I know you talked about. I don't know if that's Hollywood people are so protective and they agents and managers and lawyers, they try to keep all their clients away from each other. Why? Why is that? Is that like a, just a scarcity mindset? It's a scarcity mindset. That but it goes all, against the grain of just a typical abundance and goodness and things of that nature. Correct. And if you remember, there's a studio that was created because of that called United Artists where all the artists got together and they bought their own studio. I think it was like Charlie Ch- It was all the big, they were I big artists. I remember that, yeah. And the reason why they did that is because they felt they were being kept from each other by agents and managers and studios and producers because they wanted to, wanted to work control. Together. The studios and agents want to control their clients. Mm. So they said, hey, we're going to do our own studio. Let's, we're all friends. We know what we're doing. And United Artists, UA, it's a big, still to this day, I think Tom Cruise bought United Artists. I'm not sure. United Artists, I think he bought this, the library. So a lot of great movies. If you look them up, you'll yeah, see. Give me some examples. I know it. I just can't oh, think can't, of off the top of my head. God, I can't remember. Okay. But, well, but trust we, me. Yeah. No, I know. A, a household name, United Artists. When you Google it, you'll see. And then as a result, were more people being a little freer with their contacts and trying oh, yeah. to help each other out? Yes. But what I'm saying is that is a result of what goes on in Hollywood. That's how bad it is. They had to get together and do their own studio. Now, what about the actors? What's it called? SCA, uh, the union. SAG. 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 So that SAG doesn't... does nothing. No, it really doesn't, huh? No, it does nothing. That's a shame. It's a shame. And there's an interesting article in the, uh, in the um, Deadline, which is one of our Hollywood newspapers, like the Variety. The Writers Guild is very upset right now, and they did a study. They did a whole research study, and the Writers Guild is bringing this up now as a major issue. And what's going on, and Writers Guild is a really strong union. Screen Actors Guild is not. Yeah. The DGA, directors and writers, they've got great unions. SAG is weakened. I don't know why, but they are. The Writers Guild is upset because 87%, they did the research, 87% of all TV shows, and there's about 500, we're having our golden era in television. There's some great shows on TV, great writers. But 87% of all those shows are being packaged by only two agencies. I don't want to name them, okay. but two agencies. In other words, it's a monopoly, and they control 87%. So if you're not with those agencies, number, yeah. if you're not with those agencies, you're as out. a writer, director, or actor, you're not getting the main things. You're getting the crumbs. So what do you think about the industry in general right now as it is today? I think there's a lot of problems with the industry today just because of that. Yeah. Having a monopoly on the television business is not good. I wonder how long that's going to sustain. You got the baby bells that spawned out from the phone companies, you know. Yeah. But I wonder if something will happen within the film industry. You know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to predict. One way around that, what I've done is, again, always thinking out of the box and always taking that risk, which is important even after 30 years in the business. So I've got a place now in Atlanta, Georgia, and I commute because the number one spot in North America for filming is Georgia. 
Interesting. Why? For tax breaks? Well, not tax breaks. They actually give rebates. So a tax break is nice, yeah, yeah. but a rebate, they give you 30% of your budget. Interesting. So let's say you're- Why are you bringing, is it bringing that much industry? Yes. That much to, yes. Okay. Yeah. You know how many projects in 2018 are shooting in Georgia? 455 projects. If Georgia was a country, yeah. it'd be the number one country in the world for film. Wow. Move over LA. Oh, LA's third. Vancouver's number two. Vancouver, Canada, number two. Los Angeles, number three. And LA is only number three because they still, the sitcom, which is three cameras, it's a real craft. Yeah. Sitcom business is a real craft. You need specialized crew for that. So the LA still rules the three cameras. I'm not a three camera guy. I don't think Casas is either. And what are you, two or one? one you know, the one camera guy. Yeah. The three cameras are the ones that's like Friends, that TV Correct. series Friends. Yep. It's great. Those guys are very talented. It's hard work. Yeah. So if you're a three-camera person, LA's good for you. If you're not, it probably isn't. With the stuff that you're doing now, are you the producer and the showrunner, or are you the... So the project that I did is I did something a little bit different from what is normally done. Mm -hmm. So I shot... And can a... you describe the showrunner, by the way, for people that aren't familiar with the... Because yeah. a lot of people don't know what yeah. a showrunner is. So a showrunner is kind of does everything. He's the producer. He's the head writer. Sometimes he's also the creator. He creates the show. So he's responsible for delivering the, all those episodes, 10, 11, 12 episodes to the network. The network looks to him and says, here's $22 million, deliver 12 episodes. So he's got to hire everybody. He's got to hire the writing team for the writing room. He's involved with hiring the actors. He does everything. He oversees all the editing. He's on the set every day. While they have directors that come in in television, they're hired guns. They're not the same as they are in the film business. The showrunner's the boss. Yep. And he's the head writer the creator. Yeah. He runs everything. It's a tough role. It's a tough role. What I decided to do was with a limited amount of money, I was going to shoot a movie, but I was going to shoot an enormous amount of footage, which I did. It was a lot of footage. And I would also edit it as a film about 98 minutes, but I also have eight 22 minute episodes. Uh, that's interesting. That's different, a good idea. different titles, mm -hmm. a lot of the same footage, but much longer scenes in the episodics because I can go longer because I've broken it up into eight, which is like 160 minutes or something. So I've got both. So I've got a TV series package that I can sell as a package, eight episodes to Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. And as a backup plan, I want to do the film because a film is pretty easy to sell. Selling a series is difficult. So I'm not going to kid myself. I understand the reality. How important is it knowing the right people to approach versus having a good product? Because it still blows my mind knowing how competitive it is and also knowing how good the quality of entertainment that's out there. And then I see things that make it to the big screen and I'm like, this is just garbage. It's absolute garbage. Forget about not good, but just bad. No, there's a lot of bad. And I guess, the again, it's because when you have the, I don't want to be, I want to be careful, but when you have a lot of people that are in charge now that aren't the artists, they're the corporate guys whether they're agents, and these agents all went to business school. Yeah, They didn't go to New York NYU Tisch School of the Arts. They didn't go to the Columbia Film School grad school. It used to be run by Milos Forman. They didn't do that. They went to their accountants, their lawyers, their business guys, and they're excellent. So we've lost a lot of, you know, in the old days, the guys that ran the studios, they loved artists. Yeah. And they respected and loved the artistic flair and listened to them. Today, like I said, they just want to control. They want to, It's a business. It's yeah. a big, big business. It's one of the best exports. We've never had a depression in the film industry. When the rest of the country is depressed financially, Hollywood is still making money. People are still watching TV. They're still going to movies. There's video games. That all comes out of so Hollywood. So this wasn't affected at all back in 2007? Not really. 
No. Oh, and it's know. the largest export. Yeah. The number one export to the rest of the world, to every country in the world, they buy our film and television. Every single country. Interesting. And now we got Vancouver knocking on the door. Right. Yeah. How Vancouver? Well, because Canada, the dollar up there is weaker than the U.S. dollar. So our U.S. dollar goes a lot further. Mm -hmm. And Canada also subsidizes the film industry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. They saw that. Yeah, Canada's right on our heels. Yeah. (laughs) But Georgia's the best. Yeah. If you want to think out of the box, the place to be is Georgia. That's great. And any reason that you're still here full time? Here being L.A.? I have to finish the movie that I, The Trouble, it's called The Trouble. I have to finish it. I've got so much footage today. As soon as I'm done here, I've got that other podcast I told Uh you about, about the fire. And then I got to go sit with the editor. We've been working on this, the edit for six months. Now, how much of your time is spent toggling between the benevolence of the animal rescue and film? Well, animal rescue always takes precedence. So that if it comes up, you know, I'm there. That's what I do. Yeah. And how often do you get that call? Not that often. I've thought about leaving the business and becoming like a full-time animal person, but I haven't done that, made that You get too yet. much fuel in your tank for <laughs> your movies. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Oh, man. So the name of the movie's Trouble. Is this something that we're going to see or we're waiting for it to get picked up? Well, I got to finish it. So yeah. once I finish the edit, then I have to do post-production sound work, which is another gigantic job. That could take two or three months easily. Then the color correction where they color the movie and change all the problems, the lighting problems. They can do that now in post because everything's great. digital. Yep. So that's a good thing because I made a lot of mistakes. And then I have to shop it. Then I got to get out there and, and uh, shop it. What's the life cycle of a movie from the idea to getting out on the big screen? Well, for me, this project is five years. Whew. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be dedicated. You've got to be, you gotta mean, be. What have you had to sacrifice to make this happen? Well, the real deal is it's taken such a long time because I have to juggle my acting career. So every time I get an acting job, I got to drop the movie. I'm no longer in the edit room. Yeah. I totally focus. I'm doing a series in Miami called uh, Paper Empire. I go back in January. And when I do that, hopefully I'll have it done before January, the edit. That's what I'm trying to do right now, to get it done before I have to go back to Miami. So when I'm in Miami, I'm in Miami and I got to memorize lines every night. Yeah. I'm working with Robert Davi, Wesley Snipes, Denise Richards. So... That's a huge issue. So I can't focus 1,000% on the movie. Because I, when I get a job and I'm being paid, I have to be professional and I have to do their job. That's the number one priority. So that's been a huge problem. So I've had to sacrifice getting the movie done. I've also, because I've been so focused on the movie, I have not gotten as many jobs as I should because I'm trying to, to, to this. finish this thing. So it's yeah. been tearing me in two different directions. So it's yeah. been difficult. I can't wait to get it done. And what is the biggest challenge that you're facing today? Well, with the project, it's having enough money to finish it. Yeah. Have you looked into crowdfunding? I had a very successful Kickstarter campaign. You did? I've done everything. I can, every aspect of independent filmmaking, raising the money, making it, whatever it is, marketing, distribution, I know everything. I can actually teach it now. Hmm. It might be something you want to look into. What about, what about the people that you've known throughout the years? How have they been able to help you or where have they dropped the ball? in helping this project. I mean, I'm sure they're getting pitched stuff all the time, so. Yeah, the great thing is a lot of my friends did come on board, a lot of great actors, Angus McFadden, Billy Baldwin, Paul Ben Victor, Costas, Allison Eastwood, and she really does. In fact, I brought her a Western, and they wanted her for $50,000 for like a day's work, and she said, "Uh uh-uh, no, Billy. Wow. And so she goes, I don't want to act anymore. She's a director. Yeah. And I said, are you still gonna do my project? She goes, I told you I was gonna do it. 
I'm going to do your project. <laughs> That's great. Uh, like good people. Yeah. So I, I've got those people, Tom Sizemore. I've got all these different people. So that's been helpful. That's been helpful. Yeah. And then with some of these people that you just mentioned, household names, what have you done throughout the years to stay in touch with them? Is it just hellos? Is it seeing them at parties? Is it just reaching out? It's just reaching out. Yeah. Actors are weird. We don't really stay in touch. It's a strange... Would it benefit the community if everybody did? Yes, it definitely would. Yeah. So we need to get more of that. Yeah. We need to do more of that. We do. Yeah. I know our time is a little bit under. So before I... Or a little bit over, I should say. Before I let you go, I got a bunch of random questions here. Put your finger on anything and I'll just grab... All right. Let's see what we got here. What is something that you know a lot about, but don't necessarily have to be an expert and can teach me? What I just said, I, and I do want to do these seminars, these filmmaking, independent film seminars. Yeah. I do know a lot about it because I've made all the mistakes you can make. <laughs> so I've learned everything. Yeah. And making the mistakes, I go to people like this director I met last night, George Folsey I went to. He's a world, he edited uh, Animal House, Blues Brothers, all these big movies. Maybe we something we've heard of. <laughs> yeah. And I make the mistake and I learn so much from each mistake. So I am going to be a great teacher once I get this done. So that's your next life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. listen, I really appreciate you coming on yeah. today. It's been Thank a lot you. of fun. Your story is yeah. awesome. Thank and you. Uh, I look forward to sharing this with everyone else. Cool. You make it a great day. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.